and the, the writer of Isaiah says, as this herald comes, this news teller comes, he comes on the mountain, and as soon, as soon as we can hear him, what we hear is good news of a great victory. How beautiful are the feet of that herald that comes to proclaim victory. You know, it's not beautiful feet of the herald that comes to say, we've lost, we've lost, run! We, no one would, as I wouldn't say, beautiful are the feet of those who come to declare bad news. Um, but how precious is good news? And the news he's talking here, the, the beautifully footed messenger that Isaiah is proclaiming about is Jesus. And Isaiah doesn't know exactly how God's going to do it, but he knows that someone's going to come as the herald of God who's going to bring this good news of great victory for God's people over the enemies. And Paul's saying our enemies are not a nationality, are not an ethnic group, uh, are not a, you know, it's our enemies are sin and death and Satan's ploys against us, and Jesus has come as the proclaimer of good news, who's rescued us and delivered us. He is our victor. He is our, um, our, 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 the soldier who's gone out and won the victory for us. And he's the one who now comes and declares through his sin, death, and resurrection, victory, good news. And good news is something you receive. Good news is not an education that you have to go through and pass. Good news is not indoctrination that you join a church and learn its tradition. Good news is not something you earn and get rewarded with at the end of the day. Good news, here's your wage. Good news is something you just receive. Something's been done for you. Good news. Someone you don't know or knows you and has sent you a birthday present. Good news. Someone is paying for you to go to the new restaurant that Andrew Forrest opened and costs on them. It's you plus one. Just rec- well, What do I have to do? Just receive it. Can I say thanks? Well, you can, but you're gonna, you can enjoy it whether you say thanks or not. It's yours. Free gift. It's the good news of what Jesus has done. That's the gospel. And we have to receive it like news. As much as we try and turn it again into something that we have to earn, it is just news to receive. Something already has been done for us. Um, no religion can save us. The good news of Jesus is that Jesus has saved us. And Paul over here doesn't say the same thing. So Paul has that scripture in mind, but instead of saying, as feet, as shoes for your feet, put on the proclamation of the gospel. That would be like a direct quote. You know, you go be the beautiful-footed messengers into your city and proclaim the gospel. That would be like the, the direct quote um, and of course, Jesus has told us to do that. So would, there'd be nothing wrong with Paul saying that. That's exactly what Jesus has told us to do, go into the nations and preach the gospel. That's, we, we want to share that. But Paul has said, as um, shoes for your feet, put on a readiness because of the gospel of peace. That's something different. In other words, Paul is, there's this proclamation, in Isaiah, that's something you have to receive. It's proclaimed. But then Paul is now applying it. Having received the gospel of salvation, there's a readiness that you have to enter all of life with peace with God. The peace, the peace that you ha- now have with God prepares you in a way for everything you will face today. For work, for family, for disappointments, for doubts, for bad news, for being disillusioned, for being discouraged, for being treated unjustly. Something about the peace of God prepares you, makes you ready to engage in a broken world. 
There's a, a story I'm going to tell you about. Uh, I'm not sure how well it will actually, I can use it, but it's too good a story not to use. Um, Josephus is a, a Jewish historian. He was also a soldier. And Josephus records uh, some of the history that, some of the Christian history. Jo- Josephus wasn't a Christian. He, didn't, he lived at the time of Jesus, but he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So when he records something like Jesus is this man that's recorded to do miracles and blah, 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 history really goes, wow, that's outstanding. Someone that doesn't believe in Jesus as the, the Messiah records that he did these marvelous things that are difficult to explain. Um, that's like some serious credibility. One of the things that Josephus writes about is, the, is a war between the Jews and the Romans. And I'm just going to read it, about, read it because it, it highlights uh, the shoes that are usually helpful. Like Paul says, put on these shoes. If, if you can put up a picture of the shoes, I think I have one there. These are called, I think it's like collega or something. I'd, I'd have to get told how to say the word properly. Do you see that underneath it, those, those spikes are called hobnails. And what the Roman soldiers would have is these, these shoes strapped on with these hobnails underneath that give you a sure foundation. So they help you stand um, in dirt, in, on the ground, in battle. And so Paul says, put on the, the, these shoes. These, these are the shoes he's imagining. And in Paul's mind, because the gospel of peace gives you a sure foundation to stand against the difficulties you're going to face in life. Peace with God prepares you and makes you ready, and you need these hobnailed shoes. Anyway, you'll hear how sometimes they can be a disadvantage. Now, not peace with God, there's never a disadvantage, but here we go. There was one Julian, a centurion, that came from Bithynia. He was a man of great reputation, whom I had formerly seen in that war. A man of fame, both for his skill in war, his strength of body, and the courage of his soul. This man, seeing the Romans giving ground and in a sad condition, for he stood by Titus at the tower of Antonia, leapt out and of himself alone put the Jews to flight. I imagine this this guy, Julian, jumps out of a tower, lands on his shoes, smoke rises, the Jews who are winning sees this, and they just turn and run. There must be some reputation. Um, Put the Jews to flight when they were already conquerors and made them retreat as far as the corner of the inner court of the temple. From him the multitude fled away in crowds, and supposing that neither his strength nor his violent attacks could be those of a mere man. Accordingly, he rushed through the midst of the Jews as they were dispersed all abroad and killed those he caught. There wasn't any sight that appeared more wonderful in the eyes of Caesar or more terrible to others than this. However, he was himself pursued by fate, which he, who was but a mortal man, could not possibly escape. For he had shoes all full of thick and sharp nails, as had every one of the other soldiers. So when he ran on the pavement of the temple, he slipped and fell down upon his back with a very great noise, which was made by his armor. This made those that were running away turn back. Those Romans that were in the tower of Antonia set up a great shout as they were in fear for the man. But the Jews uh, got around him in crowds and struck him with their spears and with their swords on all sides. Now he received a great many of the strokes of these iron weapons upon his shield and often attempted to get up again, but was thrown down by those that struck at him. Yet as he lay there, he stabbed many of them with his sword. He was not easily killed, as being covered with his helmet 
and his breastplate, in all those parts of his body where he might be mortally wounded. He also pulled his neck close to his body till all his other limbs were shattered and nobody durst come to defend him and then he yielded to his fate. What an interesting story when you think about Paul using the Roman armor as, you know, here you've got a crowd, he's on his back and they still can't kill him, they can't mortally wound him because he's got his breastplate and his helmet still on and his shield, you know, and Paul uses your helmet of salvation, your breastplate of righteousness. The enemy may hack at you, but he cannot mortally wound you because Jesus has shielded you. So what can we notice today uh, from Paul's teaching as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace? Number one, the gospel of peace gives us stability. The gospel of peace gives us a good foundation for spiritual battles because it puts us at peace with God. Um, so peace with God is something we would put on every single day. It's something we live with. You don't lose peace with God. You've got to put on peace with God. Um, and without peace with God, we have no stability in life. Uh, without peace with God, we can't answer the difficult things. Without peace with God, anything can be disruptive into our lives. And then disruptive things can be crushing in our lives. Um, but peace with God brings this sort of stability uh, that, that we, we don't need to fear. I remember th- um, being in high school. Uh, there were two guys in our church who played um, state-level rugby like Western Force. That's probably not a great example because I wouldn't put fear into anyone. Uh, <laughs> but like, think more of a New Zealand rugby team. And, um, and I remember thinking at high school... No matter how intimidating anyone is here, if I get called out into a fight, I'm bringing these two guys, and, and I, I'm, I'll win. There's no, like, I, don't, I probably won't have to do anything. I'll just have these guys show up. Um, that gave me great confidence. So what I'm, I'm trying to badly show you is that there was like some sort of stability, not in my circumstances, but because of who I knew. And because of who I knew would back me, there was this, like, even the intimidating people are not intimidating anymore because I know who I've got on my side. And when we have peace with God, there's a stability that's out of this world, that, that's not comprehensible, that no one can... It, it doesn't make sense. You should be discouraged. You should be downcast. You should be anxious. You have every reason to fear. Life is hard. Life is difficult. There's ups and downs. You'll be treated badly. Lies will be told about you. You'll miss out on promotions. Blah, and those are real. But you have one reason to be stable through those moments. That you know a sovereign God who's faithful and good has your back. Have you ever been someone, or have you, have you, ever, have you ever been one of the... Uh, let, me, let me... Has someone ever experienced such a peace in God that it's disruptive to you, and you want to convince them to worry a little bit more? <laughs> Has that... <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Or have you ever had such peace and other people are trying to go, no, but I, I get it. I understand that's great for you. But you really do have to think a little harder about the circumstance, right? It's not understandable. It's not explainable. And it's not transferable. But if you have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, 
then you have on your side the sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent, faithful, and good God, and whatever He allows in His life is not out, in your life is not out of His control, whether you like it or not. And so simply saying it, you have every single reason to struggle in life, but you have one reason not to. And that one reason, that one pro, is greater than all of the real cons. And so Jesus doesn't say, come to me and life is going to be perfect. Jesus says, come to me and through all your struggles and doubts and sufferings, you'll have peace. I think sometimes what we want, what I want, let me speak for myself, not you, is if I am uh, handicapped, that if I come to Jesus, I will be made whole. That if I am poor, if I come to Jesus, I'll be made financially secure. That if I am lonely, if I come to Jesus, I'll become popular. That if I don't have a job, if I come to Jesus, I'll become employable. And Jesus says, if you come to me, you'll have peace with God. And that solves the rest. Is that practical? Immensely. Does that solve all the problems? Yes, but not in the way we want them. Paul says in Ephesians, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and, bro- and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Talking about the difficulties between people. In Jesus, we have peace. We are no longer enemies. Paul says in Romans, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you need stability in your life? You're struggling with things that you can't understand? Are there things that feel unfair? Were you born into difficulty? Is there something about you that others just don't seem to appreciate? You feel lonely, left out on the outskirts, always looking in, insecure. Josh gave a wonderful welcome. And Jesus says to you, I give you peace with God. Never alone, never insecure. Nothing in your life is ever fully unstable in the way that we imagine, and even death itself has no sting. Does that take away reasons to fear? No, there are reasons to fear. It just gives us a better reason not to. Does that take away reasons to be anxious? No, there's lots of reasons to be anxious. It just gives us a better reason not to. Secondly, not only does uh, the peace with God give us stability in our lives, but it gives us a readiness, as Paul says here. And in Colossians, Paul writes, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So, Jesus recognizes that there's a need for us to remember peace with God when he says things like don't be anxious for anything because your heavenly father knows what you need you know he's, he's being realistic like you're going to have lots of reasons to be anxious but don't don't be because you've got this one reason your heavenly father and Paul in a similar way is uh, understanding the same thing let the peace of Christ rule in your heart something's going to rule in your heart there's going to be something that rules in your heart and he's saying, let the thing that rules in your heart, the thing that kind of governs your motive, the thing that kind of dictates your behavior, the thing that kind of 
decides how you view everything that you're experiencing and living through, your hopes and dreams. Let the thing that rule in your heart be peace with God. Every, everything's going to be okay. My daughter was making a salad last night. Um, she's quite good at it, actually. And then she said this random thing. She's busy making the salad, and she goes, you know what I just thought about? I realize that uh, because of Jesus, nothing can actually go wrong in life because, like, we're going to be with him forever. And then I heard my wife say, what a great revelation. Hold on to that. And my daughter had no clue what I was preaching about, but she was preaching it to all of us. We really don't have anything to worry about because in the end, Jesus brings us home. Now, all I would add to that is, no, uh, you have lots to worry about. But what will help you through all of that is Jesus will bring us home. That changes how we face those difficult things. So how how does the gospel of peace actually ready us? What does it ready us for? Um, because that's, the, that's what Paul's saying, right? Like, go into your day, put on the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And I like that, that there's, it's not just something to know, it's, there's like this readiness, there's some way to kind of engage physically, mentally, emotionally with life. So I've, I've just got a few examples. One is the forgiveness of sins from Jesus helps us to fight against condemnation and fear that the devil tries to put on us. The peace with God, you know, the devil is, Jesus calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. Satan's running around accusing you. If you've been a Christian for a while, then, then you know that you've been accused. And Satan doesn't wait, you know, till you've shown up at church for a month and you've uh, paid a tithe and you've served in the kids' ministry and you've... Wh- whatever the things are that we think, like, oh, we're supposed to be doing to kind of be this outstanding Christian. He doesn't wait till that. He waits till you stumble and fall a little bit, till you get tripped up a little bit, till you kind of... You know, you, 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 you didn't really declare your taxes in a, in a completely ethical way. And Satan goes, bingo, I've got a moment, here we go. What kind of a Christian are you? If you really trusted God, you wouldn't have done that. Now, watch, wait and see. When something bad goes in your life, now you know why. You really didn't live up to expectations. And you better not tell anyone about that because everyone thinks that you have higher standards than that. Your brothers and your sisters will be deeply disappointed. You lied. You're not who you think you are. Has anyone ever felt like that? Well, the forgiveness of our sins, the peace that we have with God, every single time that happens, goes, no. I am ready to stand against the guilt and the shame and the accusations about me because it is not my righteousness, but His that has saved me. And yes, the Father forgives me for this too. And I can go to my brothers and sisters and share the difficulties and struggles I've had and the ways in which I've uh, collaborated with the devil. Guys, will you pray with me? I lied on my taxes. I'm going to have to find how to kind of do, uh, go and repair that. But for a moment, I slipped into this idea that I have to provide for myself and I saw a way out. Pray with me, hold me. Next year, walk with me gently and accountably to see my faith in God kind of increase and grow. But not for one second do I live in guilt and shame 
and accusations. The assurance of God's steadfast love provides security that cannot be shaken by lies and accusations. It's not because we're good enough. It's because His love is steadfast. His love is unending. Imagine being in a relationship so, you know, where, where you fall in love young, and then you get to your... Uh, Caleb told me this week that I'm old. It was a horrible way to find out. <laughs> Caleb, what, uh, sorry, at what age is someone old? Uh, I don't know, probably older than 42. Shoot, I'm 43. <laughs> wow, okay. What was my point again? God said, for, imagine being in a relationship. You fall in love young. And then you get to 43, and the, your spouse looks at you and goes, you're not the person I married. I, I was attracted to you because of your beauty, but you don't really have that anymore. You actually have a lot more problems than I imagined. I mean, you're all like wincing. This is awkward for all of us, right? It's, there's something wrong about that, but, but let's be honest. We're not, we're not like, that's not impossible for any of us. That, that we fear that. If we wouldn't do that to someone, we might fear that someone might do something like that to us. Yeah. Our friends. What if my friends really know what I'm like? What if I really let them see my struggles? Will they still be my friends? Will they still invite me to things? The love of God is steadfast. You can't make God love you less. You couldn't show God something about yourself, surprise Him with an ugliness that goes, oh, I thought I loved you, but but really I didn't. I loved the you I thought I knew. You can't change so much that God goes, hmm, I used to love you when you were like this, but now you're like that. Hmm, why? Because the steadfast love of God it is not on your life because you have earned and deserved it. God loves you because He is love. He cannot do any other. You can't change God. And so His steadfast love makes us very secure. Gives us great assurance. The confidence of God's faithfulness provides us with courage to fight through fears and doubts. I loved what a theologian said once. He said, well, I heard him say once. He said, um, we, we always need faith, but we don't always need our own faith because sometimes we don't have faith. We have doubts and, and we, we don't, mysteries. But in those moments, what we can trust is God's faith. He's like, you can have faith in His faith. Does God, can God save me? Well, I don't know, but I have faith that God believes He can save me. I trust that. And what am I actually trust, trusting? The faithfulness of God. That God will do everything He promised. I'm not trusting my own understanding. I'm not trusting my own uh, theology. I'm, not tr- I'm trusting that God is who He said He is and that He will do what He said He has done. And the confidence that we get from the faithfulness of God helps us to fight against fears and doubts. Isn't it ironic that religion often causes fear and doubts? The very thing we should be pouring God's grace and faithfulness over people 
not causing them to fear and doubt if God is who he said he is. I'm, I'm not saying anyone in this room does this. I'm just putting us all into the religi religion category for a second. Let's, let's at least own it rather than point fingers. Our safe and secure identity in Jesus reminds us that we're held in Christ. We cannot be plucked out of Christ. So we have no reason to believe that our weak faith ever can take us out of Christ. If, if you have faith in Jesus, then you are as secure as whatever, you know, if you think of Jesus as a vault, is Satan like Ocean's 17, and he has this like bank robbery gang that knows how to get into the vault of Jesus and get you out, steal you away. And all the sirens go in heaven, and someone's name who's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life has been erased. The page has been torn out. Where are they? Bad luck, you were on it. Sorry, we lost L through M. <laughs> no, Jesus is the safest vault in, in all of eternity. All vaults are aiming to be as secure as Jesus. And if you have been placed in Jesus, you are in the, the most secure place in all of the world. We have access to our Father in prayer who enables us to depend on God. And Jesus taught us to pray every single day for our needs. So it's okay to have needs. It's okay to have daily needs. It's okay to be that needy child that keeps coming back to dad because, God, I'm trusting you today for my needs. God, I don't know if this is a need or a desire or a want. I'm not sure, but I'm putting it before you. Yeah. You know all of our needs. Give us today our daily bread. What are you struggling with today? Do you lack comfort? Do you lack control over something? I'm not trying to suggest you should have control over everything, but is there something that is just out of control, that's chaotic? Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. Is there chaos in your life? It's okay to come to God and go, God, everything is out of control. I don't understand it. Please bring order. Do you need wisdom? Do you need grace? Our peace comes from outside of our circumstances. Our peace gives us a readiness to face our circumstances because we can turn to God who's steadfast in love, who's faithful. Lastly, peace with God the God through the gospel of Jesus gives us peace. Philippians 4 verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, it's one thing to talk all morning about peace with God. But peace with God is supposed to also give you peace. You, you, you can see the connection there, right? Can you imagine someone is imprisoned and the judge uh, or the warden chucks out their sentence and says, you've been justified but you still stay in prison. Like, it's great to know I'm justified. How wonderful is this? I'm free. At lunch, all the inmates are like, man, how long do you have left to go? And you go, no, I'm, I'm free. I'm a free man. I'm justified. Hmm. But you live in a prison. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, you live under all the same controls as we do. Yep. You have no power over anything. We don't have power over. Nope. Hmm. What kind of freedom is this? Oh, you'd love it. Do you, do you want some? I know the warden. I can introduce you to him. It's great news. And then we can all live in our cells together, imprisoned by sin and death. No, peace with God is supposed to give us actual peace. Felt, enjoyed, loved, remarkable, exciting. So, because the peace of God is an actual thing that we are supposed to enjoy, what it does, and I'm, I'm landing with this, is that it's not just supposed to be this, this notion we know about, but it's supposed to be this truth about the righteousness we have through Jesus that gives us an experience of peace through very difficult circumstances. What that does to us, how that prepares us, think about the readiness. And this is where there's a theological divide. If you go read the commentators, they split down the middle. They'll say this. Well, what that means is you are now ready to go and proclaim peace to all people. That's what the readiness is, that you go out and you tell people about Jesus. And it's hard to say they're wrong because that's exactly what Jesus said we do. So they can't be wrong. But is that what Paul's saying? The other side goes, no, the readiness is about this peace that you experience. It's this like you're ready to face anything that the enemy brings at you because you won't be disrupted because you have peace with God, this ultimate sense of reality. And I think what's probably true if you think about the formation of a person, isn't the question of which one is theologically right. The question is, what happens to us when we are living, put on peace with God? What actually happens to us? What actually results when I knowingly have put on peace with God? And I walk out of my house knowing I have eternal peace with God. What happens is both of these Every single time there's an opportunity to talk about the gospel, what a delight. Yeah. And every single time a difficult situation is experienced, oh, what's, it's something wonderful to fall back on. And so what, what I think the answer for us is actually is that as we put on the peace of God, Perth begins to experience the most remarkable people. Perth begins to have this fragrance. Spring mornings are incredible in Perth. Depending on where you live, I, I don't know what your, your neighborhood smells like. But my neighborhood smells like pine in spring. The early morning smell is so nice to be out. As the birds are waking up, you hear them chirping and you smell this pine. There's a fragrance. And as people of peace walk out into our city, there's a fragrance that rises in our city, something people can experience. There's, there's an uncommonness about it, a settledness about it, a pr promotion of peace, a forgiveness of others, a cost of grace to those who don't deserve it. 
being kind and loving to those who haven't earned kindness or love. And it's not because we're trying to earn anything, but it's because we've put on peace with God. There's an overflow of peace from God. What does it actually look like? It looks the same way as what Jesus looked like as he walked from town to town. Loving, caring, listening, sharing, feeding, praying, ministering, freeing, forgiving, giving hope, respecting. I mean, just think of what Jesus did as the Prince of Peace. So much more, uh, not, not so much more, never much more than Jesus, never more than Jesus, but so much in the same way as we receive peace from God and walk with the Prince of Peace, do we become these fragrances in our city of uncommon people who you can't easily get down and you can't easily offend? And as much as you push them away, they come back like a Labrador to love you. <laughs> who are these people? They're people who know that they have peace with God. And that frees them to promote peace wherever they can. And often, that gives us the opportunity to proclaim peace with Jesus, with God through Jesus, to those who don't know. I want to invite us to put on our armor, to put on peace with God, and either to say to you, man, you're, you, you're facing some real struggles. Put on the peace that you have with God. Let the struggles not go away, but let them get their right proportion in your life. Let God show you that you're going to be okay. Let God show you that he's, he's nothing, it's not out of His control. He'll help you. And if that's something you can step into and live in, then I want to say, my friends, let's go into Perth this week and let's wear the peace of God. Let's go to work and be uncommon. Let's go into our homes and be uncommon siblings, parents, children. Let's go into our sports clubs or our gyms or our beaches or our cafes and bring a fragrance of Christ that's really difficult to put a finger on, but it's different. And let's promote peace. And let's pray that through that we get the opportunity to wisely and gently and sensitively share the great news of Jesus Christ for those around us that don't know.